KZSU Stanford. I'm Mark Molino, and this is the Henry George Program. This is a show about housing here in the Bay Area, economic issues, morality, and more. Today on the program, Spotlight on Sunnyvale, we have Richard Mellinger. He's of the Livable Sunnyvale Steering Committee. And we have Max Kapczynski back on the show from Palo Alto Forward. We're talking today about some developments in Sunnyvale, turning a cornfield into a bunch of single-family homes and basically evicting an entire mobile home park and not really adding many units. We're talking about what that's all about and how tenants are protected in, in Sunnyvale. So let's just get into it. Welcome, Richard. Howdy. Good to be here, Mark. And welcome back, Max. Hi, Mark. Good to be back. So we are talking Sunnyvale today. Sunnyvale, it's 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 a big place. It is is the second biggest city in Santa Clara mm-hmm, County. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's it's everyone knows San Jose, but Sunnyvale, it's 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 worth it's worth uh, keeping in mind. Yep, yep. Everyone here is Santa Clara. They think Santa Clara. They think Mountain View. They think Palo Alto. All of which considerably smaller, actually. Yeah, and we talk about how the intersection of the booming economy, a lot of development, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because when you build a big Apple spaceship in Cupertino, mm-hmm. it, it affects it affects uh, Sunnyvale, uh, you know, housing prices quite and, dramatically. Well, and Google's brought at least ten thousand jobs, if not more, in the last couple of years. Absolutely, I, mean, yeah. I think I think everyone from Google to Facebook to Microsoft, they're all buying and, and developing in, in Sunnyvale. Well, Mountain View and Palo Alto have told them that they're full, so well, <laughs> they Google, go down the, down the highway. My first job in Sunnyvale was seven... I moved there about seven years ago uh, to work at a company called Spirant Communications, and they were in the Moffat Park area of Sunnyvale, sure. uh, which is north of 237, between yeah. like Matilda and Fair Oaks. I'm fairly familiar with yeah. that Yeah, and it's where... And when I was working there, everything was empty. Half the office buildings were empty, uh, hugely underutilized. You had a VTA stop. Uh, you had NetApp on one side. You had, I think, Brocade down the other. It's a big but Boeing hub up there. Uh, Lockheed, actually. Oh, Lockheed, excuse me. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I'm from Long Beach, which is the Boeing hub. That's but, fine. <laughs> um, and since then, in the past... Two three years, Google has bought up. Google in particular has bought up or leased out tons and tons of office buildings there. Warehouses too. The old um, mm-hmm. weird stuff warehouse on, um, on yeah. Caribbean, I think. That has broken the hearts of many. That yeah. killed yeah. me. That uh, killed me. The, the station, uh, Casey Shoes, chief engineer. That was his one of his favorite haunts. Uh, oh. Weird stuff warehouse. You know the weird yeah. just. You stuff you can't find anywhere else. Old computer parts. You can Latest find. victim mm-hmm. to Google's land grab. Yep. And because now, that's what's left. And now Google is actually talking about doing a North Bayshore development, North Bayshore style development in Moffat Park with integrated uh, housing, retail, office, uh, a similar scale, similar idea to what they're doing in North Bayshore. So uh, it, it reflects kind of the, the ugly zero-sum environment we're in to have more google development we have to have less weird stuff you know yeah, it if, does and and that's the, and that's what's really 
tragic around here is that we can't say, hey, sure, we can develop, have more office space, but let's keep what we already have. You're making choices. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're talking about uh, just, I think, is interesting little data points here in Sunnyvale, a couple developments, uh, the Blue Bonnet uh, Mobile Park and the Corn Palace. So the Corn Palace (laughs) is an interesting thing. So just to get into it, uh, it is basically two brothers, uh, Joe and Ben Francia, uh, mm-hmm. They uh, born 1919, 1921. They died both within the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. They lived long, you know, full lives farming in uh, Santa Clara uh, Valley, which mm-hmm. was, you flash back 60 years, this was the place. Apparently, the most. The Valley of Heart's Delight. <laughs> the Valley yeah. of Heart's Delight. That was where most of the, I guess, the plurality of canned fruits in the country came out of Santa Clara. And Sunnyvale in particular, Libby's. Yeah, and that's it's and now flash forward, they were right next to the big, big uh, Lawrence Expressway, mm-hmm. and just abutting it. It's funny to look it up on like you know maps view, Google Maps from satellite while it's still there. It's just single family houses, single family houses, cornfield. Uh, and they had this corn palace in the front. I don't know if it's influenced by like there's a famous corn palace up in like the Dakotas I don't or something. Know. Uh, it's like actually that one had like big you know minarets and all this. It was a beautiful palace. This is kind of just a, a stand, but they've been running this, and they said we're sure we could sell out and make tens of millions of dollars. But you know, gosh darn it, we're going to be corn farmers forever. They also made green peppers, green beans, tomatoes, uh, and I guess now it's a new generation, and it's very hard to keep the tens of millions of dollars at bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's funny to look. Uh, you can look at like planning documents in Sunnyvale, and it mm-hmm. says like there is not much undeveloped land left for residential purposes. There's very little, and one of them is the ten acres of the Corn Palace. Right, <laughs> and now it is it is happening, and I think it's just just shows you of we need so much housing. They're going to put fifty eight. Is it right? Single family homes. Fifty eight single family homes in a two acre park. <laughs> On 8.8 acres of land. So do the math. It's about 0.2 acres per house. And it's (laughs) – so – It shows you one of the things of how long – like, you know, you do something – you know, you know, you make great artwork. You'll, you'll, you know, mm-hmm. everyone forget it in ten years. But if you make a zoning law, it's going to be there for decades and decades oh, yes. and decades. And I think it's just it's so. I think one big thing is when they had this other orchards it was all zoned for single family homes, mm-hmm. and then this also got the designation, and it's just easier to run with it. Is that a big part of it? Um, so honestly, it just came to my attention in about the past week. <laughs> sure. Um, so my understanding is that yeah, I, I'm assuming that that. That is what happened, that it was zoned along with all the other areas in that, all the other ex farmland in that area that was built up. And now, so the thing with, uh, this is about a mile from Lawrence Station, Lawrence Caltrain Station, which currently is very underused. Caltrain only stops there about once an hour, I think. Uh, but with Caltrain electrification, a lot of these less frequently used stations like Lawrence, like San Antonio, are going to get much more frequent service. The mm. rationale is that the electric trains can stop and can accelerate yes. and decelerate faster. They can accelerate and decelerate faster. They'll also have level boarding, mm. so people will be able to get on and off more quickly. And one more train per hour. Uh, yeah, right? I'm not sure the number per hour, but the result of that is they'd be able to make more stops and still get you there in the same time. Mm. So you've got 
8.8 acres of land, less than a mile from a Caltrain station, which in, you know, four or five years is going to be a major transit hub. You could make the case, not only should you build a lot of apartments there, but these should be apartments that are without many parking spots. This should be for mm-hmm. people to yeah. take transit. But this mixed <laughs> use. Transit-oriented development, to. yep. But we're not getting that. Well, and it's also... This is it's not like that would be the only apartment building on Lawrence. The Lawrence Station area plan, which council just approved, has calls for thousands of units of apartments. Mm. And calls that is for how did what calls will, for and it'll happen. Does it make it does it make it happen? Yeah. Like the developers this is like working with the developers hand in glove. That will happen. And that's a bit further north up Lawrence Expressway. Uh and they're doing high density transit oriented development there, mm. uh, and that was a that was a big win for our city, and it points to the fact that Sunnyvale actually is in general fairly pro growth. Things like the Lawrence Station area plan, the downtown area plan, there is a lot of new. There are a lot of new units in the pipeline, but it is still kind of taboo. Mm. Not entirely, but kind of to put apartment buildings next to single family homes. And the issue with the Corn Palace is that that part of Lawrence is mostly single-family homes. Sure. And, you know, it seems likely that there would be pushback if you tried to upzone it. I mean, it seems like Sunnyvale, it's unlike, I mean, I'm willing to say Palo Alto, Mm -hmm. Atherton is the base level of doing basically nothing. I mean, Cupertino. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like the the arena goals for Palo Alto is like 300 per year, Mm -hmm. and they're they're not close to hitting that. That's the city's ambitious, (laughs) just uh, groundbreaking affordable housing plan. It's 300 (laughs) a year. Yeah. And they're already down dozens from the uh, that hotel project. So Sunnyvale is still, you know, booming you know, booming prices for homes. Yep. I mean, it's still, it's not like they're building enough to keep the demand at bay, but they are doing stuff. But it's worth saying, like you talk about, you know, are they not in my backyard? Sunnyvale is, I think, a pragmatic case in where they look at former industrial uses mm-hmm. and other things to say, okay, we can turn this former use that won't bother homeowners into housing. And I'd say... If you can do that, that seems good, but is that the low-hanging fruit that you're going to run out of at a certain point? At a certain point, we will, we will run out of it, but we're not there yet. And so here's here's the thing. If you look at our RENA numbers, we're actually, we beat our RENA numbers for market rate, and I believe we're at there, about there for moderate income. This is the last cycle. Sure. We didn't make our RENA numbers for affordable housing, but we did put in a good showing. Mm. And... I believe it was. I'd have. I don't have the numbers at my fingertip. Do you have a ballpark of like how many? I believe it was like sixty percent. Okay, made like sixty percent, which is not great, but also not just completely. Uh, <laughs> Alt is like zero. Point, yeah, yeah, this is this. Yeah. We're not just blowing it off. Yeah, there's um, some zeros for Palo Alto. Yeah. So when you, yeah, so that Sunnyvale is a like you said, it's a pragmatic city. Um. I mean, in Sunnyvale, it is a place, it's 55% renters, but it is a big, you know, you you drive around Sunnyvale, you're going to see a lot of cul-de-sacs. You're Mm going to see a lot of classic 
60s and 70s style suburbia. Uh, in particular, the Eichlers, the precious sure. 1950s Eichlers. The, the, he brought them in saying, we can make affordable housing. For the <laughs> masses. The, for the it, masses. And at the time it worked, and now they're luxury items. And Eichler was a visionary. Eichler he, was an absolute, he was the only developer who insisted on integrated developments, racially integrated mm. Developments. I met someone on the train, uh, started talking with her. Turns out her grandparents own an Eichler because they're Japanese American, and that was yeah. all they could buy was an Eichler uh, because of all the racial covenants that were still in place in the fifties. Sure, I mean, and and it's just it's. I think it just it's so ironic and tragic that a person who tried to make and did make housing for the masses and brought it to so many. It's we don't have that same kind of solution makers today of mm-hmm. making affordable housing for people who currently are denied well, it. Well, the, the stranglehold is on the land, the zoning, and the permitting. Yeah, and there's not much that a visionary architect can do when he's when he or her is left with that. I mean, Eichler he 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 took away the orchards and made housing, and I guess that's it's a you get a lot less blowback from orchards than you do of <laughs> of, of homeowners now. I, I do want to push back something you said earlier. You sure. said, you know, yes, Sunnyville is building a lot of housing, but obviously it's not enough because the prices are still going up, or something along those lines. Well, you could say it is not enough to drive it down, but I'm not willing to say, I mean, are, are, like it's a Red Queen problem? You have to run as fast as you can to just stay in place? No, a bit, but the problem I was actually going to say is that it's a regional problem. Oh, the yeah. The problem is... Is Sunnyvale building enough housing? Well, it's a tough question, but Sunnyvale alone cannot solve Santa Clara County's housing crisis. And the issue is that while we are building quite a bit of housing, whether it's enough or not, I'd argue that we're doing better than our neighbors, but we could be doing better than we are. But the fact is many of our neighbors are doing nothing. Sure. And it is... uh, we're essentially suffering negative externalities as a result of the decisions of places like the city of Santa Clara, the city of Cupertino, Palo Alto, some of the other uh, smaller cities as well. Which can free ride and enjoy the benefits of Mm -hmm. the expensive, expensive living accommodations without having to actually build more. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm frustrated when a place, I think that Sunnyvale, I think even when they're operating pragmatically in good faith, they're still, their hands are tied to really have dramatic change because change is hard. Whereas there are like honest to God people who really aren't trying very hard at all. Cupertino, I mean, we were, we, we, we've at a few times we're meeting up down at the Cupertino stuff about Valco, mm-hmm. this very moderate amount of housing and they were trying to spot zone it to stop any housing, and they had to like, yes, like, they try to do everything they could to stop housing happening in Cupertino, and it's want to stop change too. Like, yeah, even just losing the the aging mall that is now apparently so precious that it might be that it that it might be about to go. The thing didn't make any money. No one wanted to go there. No one wanted to open a store there. But any kind of change at all is is must be fought at all costs well, for housing. But if you want to put a big Apple spaceship. And oh, right at the right edge ahead. of cities, that's that's fine. <laughs> and guess where the guess where the housing for that Apple spaceship is? Uh, I'm guessing that they are not taking their entire share of it. Well, all over the Bay Area, right? Engineers but are probably coming there. in particular there. Yeah. is yeah. bearing Definitely. a great deal of the brunt of that housing demand. Yeah, because we're straight up Matilda and Wolf. Yeah, from yeah. the spaceship. Yeah, and, and San so, Jose to the east as well. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And so we 
have had to suffer a great deal of the consequences of Cupertino's actions, and it's very frustrating. And I have the traffic to say. too. The traffic as well. Regional cooperation. I feel like even in the best of cases, it's always a bit fragmented. But I mm-hmm. feel the Cupertino Sunnyvale. It's it's like Hatfield McCoy territory. They like they're just throwing bombs over each other's like fences, and I mean they they're very frustrated. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, at least in the Sunnyvale side, they're frustrated oh, yes. in the way Cupertino is treating them. Oh yes, it's extremely frustrating uh, to see. You know, it's it's not neighborly. Yeah, it is not. not neighborly at all, and the spillover of housing demand from Cupertino into Sunnyvale is having it is driving prices up. It is making traffic worse. Yeah, big big picture. Like sixty years ago, when stuff like this happens, what happens? One city might annex the other, but is it just too much money that that is just completely off the table these days? I'm not sure what the process for annexation would be. I believe you have to do the state legislature. But on the other hand, I'm not sure we want to annex Cupertino and annex Cupertino's politics. Mm. Cupertino, Sunnyvale's politics are very pragmatic. We pride ourselves on being a good governance city. Sure. Our council prioritizes good governance. What does Cupertino prioritize? <laughs> uh, I'm struggling to think of a polite response, but <laughs> but they had to call in because I mean, there's the Carla, which is like the the you know the Yimby Law yes, branch to the suburbs, and they were they came down to basically say to uh, to Cupertino they were going to rezone Valco away from housing to make sure they couldn't use SB 35 on it and basically guarantee that okay we're going to get built fast track it by right which is what's happening now which is what's happening now but they try to basically last minute it's like oh wait you can't build any housing we're doing zoning <laughs> but because they were so transparent in the fact that okay we sh- well, we're not allowed to do this but let's do this they basically <laughs> they 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 flapped their lips too much yep. and they got in trouble <laughs> Yep. Or they they basically backed themselves into a corner because mm-hmm. they they certainly weren't playing by the process. Well, um, they're not evil. They're just they're just nimbies. No one no one's evil, but people are are selfish to yeah. different degrees. Right. Yeah. So I guess coming back to the Corn Palace, the it's personally when I found out about it, my initial thought was, oh great, they're finally developing it. Then I looked and saw what the plans were, <laughs> and. To me, it is a frivolous and unjustifiable use of land yeah. to take uh, – the park's great. I mean, always need more parkland. Sure. So two acres of two the acres 10 for a park. is going to be a park. Uh, park. Parkland's always great. Yeah. Um, then to take the other 6.8 acres, though, and only put 52 units of housing That's or 58 – I don't remember. 50-something. Yeah. Um, it's an ins- – in, Here's the thing, and this is the Henry George radio program. Now, I will confess that I have not yet attempted to read Progress and Poverty. It is on my list. Very few people do, but you know, it's it's some people put on their on their list, and that's that's a good start. It's high density uh, reading. Yeah, yeah. Um, but George's insight that land is essentially a community resource, a huge. It's a hugely important community resource. Sunnyvale, obviously. We do not have a Georgia system where land is formally held in common, and I don't think we ever will, frankly. But that doesn't mean that cities should 
not be treating land as a community resource. They should be, and they should be doing that through their zoning codes, right? They should be actively trying to ensure that, yes, it is private developers who are building on the land, but making sure that what the private developers are using the land for makes sense, that it is efficient, that it's environmentally friendly, that it serves the needs of the community. And right now, the community desperately needs more housing. Well, it, it's and, part, yeah, part of the insight is when a community moves into the future and things you get more efficiency, more innovation, you can always make more stuff. You know, mm-hmm. people have more refrigerators than they had and people mm-hmm. have. But it's you you're limited in how much land you have. So, so buddy, you better use it well. And yep. when you turn a piece of gold like this cornfield the last of its kind left it just seems like such a waste it is yeah (laughs) uh the only people making more land are the dutch and otherwise you've got what you start with and and even if we do that here i mean you're giving up bay land if you were to build Mm -hmm. into the bay and the thing is you shouldn't have to make trade-offs like that no the worst most unusable land (laughs) is i mean and city american cities did that throughout the 20th century instead of growing up they grew out and we've absolutely run out of all the land to do that but in since the century of the automobile we have we've kind of forgotten how to how to build up we've certainly forgotten how to legislate and and plan for it and save god bless save the bay because you know you look at some of the plans in the 40s and 50s they were talking about landfilling yeah the foster plan huge amounts of the bay yeah everything below hunter's point fill it all in that was the it it was the environmental consequences of that would have been devastating um but not that you know a couple shorebirds are more important than people, but, but I you, think we you, can do we can have both. Certainly. You can well, have it all. Yeah. The beauty of high density development, frankly, I'm increasingly of the opinion. You look at global warming, you look at the environmental challenges we face. Development should be all or nothing. It should be high density or open space. Yeah, yeah, and, and it should probably be more than 15 feet above sea level. And to, and to <laughs> say like we okay, housing is is scarce in Sunnyvale. We need more of it. We're gonna have car centric single family home development. On, I mean, it's just very hard to say this is not something that the future is going to look back at us and say, boy, what were you thinking? It's, yeah. Yeah. 50. So I did a little bit of uh, arithmetic and geometry. Um, I looked at the plot of land that my old apartment complex was on. Uh, I lived at corner of Fair Oaks and Tasman for seven years. And that site had previously been light industrial. I think there had been a dance studio there. Uh, and right about the time I moved in, they opened up a five-story apartment complex, three buildings, 284 units on about six acres of land, which is a little less than the amount of land they're talking about for the Corn Palace. Mm. Apartment, five-story apartment building, ground floor retail, a grocery store. Um, so not just residential, but the number of units, one more time, was how many 284. 284 apartments. Gosh, sure. Five stories, five times the units. Hmm. Uh, and like, give or take, I, it was it was 280 to 300. I'm pretty sure it was 284, but yeah, um, that's about the same size as the Corn Palace plot. So it is entirely plausible <laughs> to be thinking about 300 units of apartments where the Corn Palace is, especially given how close it is to the Caltrain station. I think we can all say... Physically speaking, higher density is possible, and it's just really is there political will and the ability to kind of support it. And I mean, around here, it can say that it's just a lot easier. Let's not make anyone angry, and let's just keep with the what what is 
guaranteed to us with mm-hmm. single family home zoning, which is I mean, it's you you can understand why people want to avoid conflict, but it is But you will find people who will pick a fight over that statement. That people will say that building tall is impossible. They will bring up marginal land. Oh, they'll bring up uh They'll bring up the liquefaction listen- zones. They'll bring up earthquakes. Did you listen to the Michael Goldman episode on this show when he came down? Because he definitely talks about like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like you density can find is these impossible. People. Yeah. It, is, it is not possible to build tall. You'll well, find these people. I mean, the issue, the issue is, though, like there is a phase transition around six stories, right? It doesn't make sense. Once you shift from wood to, conc- uh, wood to steel construction, sure. it does get a lot more expensive, right? So you, you do, practically speaking, have height caps of around six stories unless you're willing to go far higher density. To get your yeah. economies of scale. Right, to get your economies of scale. Which and that becomes should, but... Um, <laughs> If we want to get it's tricky to do. You can't just put up a 20-story apartment building in the middle of downtown Palo Alto not because it would be bad to do it, but because would it actually rent out? Would it actually fill up? What would the it, then, you'd and, have to I would I would like to let someone who builds apartment buildings make that gamble if they think if they think that the money would hold up. And we should zone and permit to make that possible. I think people would try. And, and to tie it back to Henry George, a big part of this mm-hmm. is value capture. Yeah. If you allow someone to build the only 50-story in town, you have to make sure that they're actually paying for basically right. yeah. the amount of you know public goods that gets, yeah. such as schools, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. not to mention transit and stuff that's very obvious that you always mm-hmm. need when you have a big development. And if people owned a, a plot of land in an expensive area, you should give them the ability to, if they were being taxed fairly to recoup some of the cost of owning that plot sure. to do as much of with it as possible Sure. if we were being taxed fairly. That said, even in a sane zoning situation, there is only a few places where like a 20-story tower makes sense. Like right? on top of BART stations. Like on top of BART stations, for mm. instance. Perhaps on top of Caltrain stations. Like the Corn Palace, it would not make sense to put a 20-story building there because it's too far away Certainly. from transit. A mile from Caltrain supports transit oriented it doesn't support 20 stories of transit oriented what right. if it was one 20-story tower with 250 units and then all a big beautiful park surrounding it that was the frank lloyd wright vision of he thought we should all live in very oh very i tall. see what you're saying a tall skinny building yeah, that was right. very tall okay. beautiful beautiful structures surrounded by surrounded by park that land. was lake corbusier's re reimagining of paris yeah well too. he wanted to do it in cities but frank lloyd wright wanted to do it out on the countryside mm. corbusier. very small Corbusier wanted to design cities not for people, but for for architects, yeah. for architects right. to look at and clap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess here's here's the thing. Like me, and I, I feel like a lot more people, you know, have said, "Boy, city planning. Like, do they know what they're doing in general?" Because in the past, you look at all these like all the, like the eggheads say, "Okay, I'm going to redesign every city," and I think they knew less about kind of the messy, organic nature mm-hmm. of cities and make it work. Or maybe they just didn't care. But right. and it was an exercise in 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 swiping over the neighborhoods that the <laughs> that's, ordinary people had built. It's very easy. Yeah, if you are unconcerned with the real human damage, then your dreams can get a lot fancier. Right. But, yeah. But in a place like around here, like every place in the world, we have a bunch of people who make zoning laws, which were governed by, and boy, it really is a very fussy, punctilious way mm-hmm. to say, here's how our city should work. And 
I just feel 99% of the time, I feel that you probably would be better with a lot more chaos and less yeah. fussiness. <laughs> well, because what zoning is, it's here's how our city should stay. Yeah. It's not here how it should it grow. Here how Here's the plan for the future. Here's what you can do. Here's how the city can grow. It's here, Here's how it's going to stay. And, I and we're going to have a that. lot of process. Within the, within the context of Sunnyvale, it really has been how are we going to grow? How are we going to change? How are we going to adapt? It has not been perfect as the Corn Palace shows. <laughs> but it's, it's but you need good faith and insight to make a plan like that. And a lot of cities have neither good faith we nor have insight. four different specific area plans going at the at the moment lawrence yeah. station uh downtown i believe peary park and i can't remember the fourth off the top of my head but essentially all of these are going to be high density transit oriented development yeah no. uh, we're talking about last year the city council passed what they call the r plus plan for the el camino real corridor sure and that was the uh Staff had prepared three different plans for the future of El Camino, uh, a heavily commercial, mixed-use, residential. They got so much feedback that none of these was offering enough residential density that they went back, drew up a new plan, which they called the R-plus plan, with more residential Mm. and more options for higher-density development. And that was what passed council last year. Interestingly enough, with Councilmember Goldman's support. Mm, um, interesting. It's, it's it's a you always find weird coalitions when you see how people vote in in uh, Sunnyvale. But I, I'll say this: I live in Sunnyvale in a relatively new complex. Mm-hmm. It is townhouses on El Camino that uh, I think better part of ten years ago it was just uh, an underused industrial use. Yep. And they are willing to say if we're not going to step in any people's toes, why not turn industrial into residence mm-hmm. and and and. I, I owe the place that I'm currently subletting to it, but there are limits. And I think I'm not speaking out of school when I say I, I spoke to Mayor Hendricks uh, just a, a few months ago, and I said, what would it take to take you know what is currently single-family home zoned areas and say, okay, because every house is selling for three million dollars now i think it's actually two million is more the median one to two in shinyville (laughs) i think it's topping two now is the median number i heard uh and uh based on the fact like we we see the cost is just it's a luxury item to have a single family Mm -hmm. house in sunnyvale what would it take for you to say okay we're going to the zoning code now it's duplexes and he told me well, do you think that's fair to the people who bought a house 40 years ago, expecting it would always be single-family homes, and now you can build duplexes? And I personally say, yeah. I mean, I don't think fair. that— Fair. There is a, an assumption that you can—that would be an outrage to anyone who lives in an area to ever see anything change. And if you live in single-family homes, duplexes, no, it's off the table, never, buddy. And I feel we got— to basically push back a bit. And this is what the Yimby movement is saying. Say, things have to change. I agree. Yeah. I, I, think I will good... say... Sorry, go no, on. No, no. I, along with liberalizing ADUs, like has been done all around the Bay Area, the state, liberalizing duplexes, I think, could be a, a certainly low-hanging fruit. There's so many single-family homes. If you doubled all of them, now we're talking about very serious increases in the amount of housing. And that I was think, just all I have to say. And, and I think it becomes kind of, you know, it's it's 
it's taking the first plunge. It's a big difference yeah. between getting your shins wet in water and yeah. being on the shore. And I think once you say, okay, it's not just Hemingway Homes, I think that you will start to see the 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 you know the mythical missing middle is going to actually possibly start happening. You start duplexes, yeah. then you start getting closer brownstone style and townhouses. Well, and it's and- in homeowners' economic ben- benefit to do yes. this. I think it is. And a front to homeowners to say, you know, you invested in this, you you maintained it, you paid your taxes, and now you cannot do something that is that would be very profitable for you to do if you're willing live in a smaller area, maybe even build another floor and take in a tenant and get in lot get lots and lots of money that could help sustain your retirement or your children can live there mm-hmm. or anything. I think that is an affront that zoning could be used as something to keep these landowners who are willing to take a risk and take a hit on their living comfort to provide this benefit and needed housing. And I think that's an affront. What's more, uh, Sunnyvale has areas that are mixed single-family, multifamily. Yeah. They exist. Washington Park. Hmm. Uh, but the multifamily housing there is all what they call, I believe, legal but nonconforming, which hmm. is that it was built... Uh, back when it was legal, fifty in the forties, fifties, it was legal to build in some places apartments next to single family homes. Yeah, okay. And these are like the like classic that. sort of like California dingbat style apartments, two story walk ups. Sure. Yeah, right. Like parking underneath, maybe like maybe park, like or, pull yeah. your car under the apartment building, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like the Washington Park neighborhood has some of these, um, and those you know those were made illegal. Right. Yeah. It was illegal to make more of them. Uh, I don't remember when, but... 70s or 80s, probably. And, like, legalizing duplexes, legalizing these sort of small walk-up apartment buildings. How about decriminalizing? Even, (laughs) well, even in the the Eichler neighborhoods, you can legalize, you know, there's such a thing as a one-story duplex. And with Eichler's houses, they were all one-story, and, you know, they want to preserve the architectural character of that, which I think is actually a valid... Concern. Not all of our neighborhoods are Eichlers. I mean, it it is of uh, the few that are. It may be worth preserving some degree of the architectural character there. I'm, I'm not saying that anything is invalid, but it is a trade-off when you turn your city into a museum of sorts. Yeah, it is true. It is true that you do not want to turn a city into a museum or into a fossil. Speaking as someone <laughs> who spent a lot of time studying history. I I do believe historic preservation has a place, but like let's talk about how you can build duplexes and small apartment buildings in these areas that are in line with the architectural character of the area. It's possible. I don't think you it's impossible. Be, you have to be willing to build. You have but, to be willing to build. And you have to be willing to you know make some compromises. To and see change. See change. Hmm. But I mean, I think it's worth noting that I was used to kind of the Palo Alto process of they never like upzone areas <laughs> at never. all. But but you know we have different specific plans in, in Sunnyvale yeah. where they have actually right. done very <laughs> substantial upzonings and change of purpose, and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, but I guess the question is, can you really? Is it enough to just look at these areas? If you go to the downtown area, if you go to the you know the El Camino stretch, we can just leave the single family homes alone or do you think that we're going to have to treat all of our land with a kind of scrutiny to say hey you probably need to spread out the upzoning everywhere i would like to see the upzoning spread out everywhere but in terms i don't think we need to yet you talk about the point where well we run out of low-hanging fruit we actually still have tons of low-hanging fruit for instance 
every single strip mall in the city of Sunnyvale mm. is wasted land. Yeah. Because any one of those could be replaced with a ground floor retail apartment building. Yeah. You maintain the exact same amount of retail space, which is really important for the city's tax base, uh, sales tax, uh, and for economic activity and so forth and so on. And then you put housing on top. Yeah. Or, or let a building. one yeah. story of housing on top. Yeah. Let the building owner build a loft on top. Let yes. them do it. I mean, for El Camino, for being such a hub where everyone drives down, mm-hmm. they just, like, that's where everyone grabs food at these restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything is one story in mm-hmm. so many places. It's and mostly parking it's, lots, probably. It's the world's longest strip mall. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's 40 miles long. Yeah. It's oh. it's appalling. And and a lot of it is disgusting to look at. Like this is the heritage we want to preserve. I would well, it's, love that is to. not, but which is which is why we have a, the El Camino uh, corridor plan. But but I mean, if if people have never visited the Bay Area, and if you love Ugh. like the Brady Bunch, and you mm-hmm. want to see seventies style suburbs preserved or 50s in amber, forties, yeah, I mean, it's there is so much of that that is unchanged here, and and you think like in most areas when you have the economy boom. Most cities change. I mean, here there's so much preservation of stuff that you most people wouldn't think. Like Eichler is a work of art, you could say, but it's yeah. hard to say that all these, you know, right, rinky-dink little sandwich shops that from yeah. the '70s, you know, no, agreed. Yeah, um, it's, it's like a barn find of a neighborhood. You open up the doors <laughs> and it's dusty and. And this is the thing. <laughs> this is Silicon Valley. Everyone hears Silicon Valley. They think this is where the future is made. This is this must this is this. They must have robots in every home and We're walking around gleaming. with VR headsets. You yeah, and you come here and it is it's what, boring where, and gross. Yeah, it's uh, office parks that are in many cases 60, 70 years old. Even Apple's spaceship is still designed. Oh yeah, there's more glass, but it's still designed in a a fashion that a 1950s campus designer would recognize, a car-oriented... Huge parking lot. Mass, it's yeah. yeah, it's a gigantic... You know, it's a, a building with a gigantic parking lot. It's and, the Pentagon designed with better computers. Right, There's yeah, more, that's... More facets. Well, it's very funny. Like, you get the first change from Orchards to Silicon Valley 1.0, and then it kind of stays around. <laughs> and then we stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, but I guess something I really want to kind of transition to is I think the real cost when you say, okay, what's off the table? You know, creating mm-hmm. townhouses, duplexes, working from the houses, the Blue Bonnet Mobile Park. Yes. This is a place where there's been, uh, uh, I believe, 50, uh, I guess, households in the 54. mobile Okay, and and they are they are it is is now history. I mean, it sounds like they've mm-hmm. they've they've basically okayed the conversion, and they are going to basically say evictions are going to be coming. They're going to be compensated to some degree, but they're going to be building townhouses there. The evictions have happened. To be clear, they I believe there are a few a few families that are still holding out in their mobile home in their mobile homes there. I don't know for sure, but the park is officially closed. The yeah. conversion, the closing of the park was approved in 2017. The park residents are suing the city and the owners uh claiming that it was done improperly. Um and I personally, I mean, I can't help but connect the dots of, you know, what I hear from Mayor Hendricks like how could you do that to a single family area and allow duplexes? But How inst- could you do that to that mobile home park? Exactly, but it is becomes much more politically feasible to allow evictions of fifty plus households. Well, they're land they're not landowners. They're not landowners. That's key. Uh, for listeners who don't know, if you 
mobile home parks, uh, mobile home park residents typically own their units, but they do not own the land their units sit on. Yeah, they pay lot fees, not mm-hmm. property taxes. And Sunnyvale has 4,000 mobile home uh, mobile home units. Wow. Which are categorized as part of our affordable housing, actually, because they're considered naturally affordable housing. It's more mm-hmm. affordable housing than Palo Alto's built in four histories, probably. Quite. Um but I mean, you say naturally affordable. I mean, this reminds me unsubsidized. Right? This reminds me of the thing like during the recession, two thousand eight. Uh, they looked at the prices of chicken thighs and breasts versus chicken wings, and okay. chicken wings are always considered like the most affordable part. That's the bargain part okay. of the chicken, and because. Times are getting tight. More people are buying chicken wings. Mm-hmm. So they're actually getting more expensive than chicken breasts. Even though you get two wings per breast, there's a certain ratio. <laughs> so, I mean, just because it kind of, you know, form factor, mobile homes were always used to be affordable. I mean... They're what, now rare. They're when, rare delicacies. When land is scarce, it's not like you can just, oh, we're going to throw some more up. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The land is the expensive part. And we, we can get into the mobile home, the situation with mobile home parks in Sunnyvale generally. I think we should. But with the Blue Bonnet in particular, they're, so they closed down the park. They're, they kicked out most of the residents and bought them out. And many of them were not able to stay in Sunnyvale because they weren't able to afford anything else. Um, well, there's no spots available for mobile home parks well, anywhere. Well, no, and not just a residence. Like, they would have huh. sold their unit, right? You don't – mobile home is a misnomer. You yeah, don't you, actually move a mobile you home. You can't actually – once they're put down, you basically you can't basically move them, You basically can't right? move them. It, it, would, um, it would cost a lot. It would, and it would probably fall yes, to pieces not, on not the worth, It's not worth doing. Yeah. Um, so what are they replacing it with? They're replacing it with 62 townhomes, of which only seven will be affordable. Hmm. And – the Blue Bonnet Residence Com- uh, Planning Commission voted to approve this this past May. Can you describe this commission? Uh, the City Planning Commission. They're responsible for approving construction, uh, granting variances, all that sort of thing. Okay. Um, this, uh, every city's got some form of planning commission, more or less. But the story was basically whoever owned the home was the original developer, or did they bring someone else in and say, okay, we're selling off? And- I believe it's the original owners yeah. who... I, I believe I believe they're working with the developer. So I don't know. I hmm. because they're townhomes and they're they'll be sold. I must I believe that what's happening is the original owners are working with the developer to build the townhomes and then sell them off lot by lot. But I mean it gets to the sad case that like you talk about the corn farmers like oh how could you be farming corn here when you could be making tens of million and the same thing you're you're running a mobile park it's like oh how could you be a sucker having these people live here when you could be developing and making much mm. more expensive townhomes and i mean it definitely ne- it, it, you could say it neglects the worth of the corn and its dignity but more than that i'd say i don't care so much a corn's dignity compared to the dignity of the people living there yes. and what they deserve and they are residents of the city that because they don't own land they they're not getting a whole lot out of this and yeah that's that's key they're so here's the thing with the blue bonnet in particular most of our mobile home parks are specifically zoned for mobile home parks they can't be closed down Sure. Not easily. If if it hits a certain vacancy rate, they can be, and we'll get back to that in a minute. Because that, but under normal circumstances, they can't be closed down. Um, the Blue Bonnet and another trailer park called Nick's Trailer Park. These were small. They were too small to fall under the zoning. They're kind of outside of the major mobile home park development areas, which are mostly in North Sunnyvale. 
But so uh, if you were in this other ones, they could go to city council and say, hey, we're zoned as trailer park, but please, a mobile park, but please let us have townhomes. And they'd say, no, you're crazy. You're, you're mobile. You're going to exactly. stay that way. Exactly. But this place, uh-huh. it had the ability because it was, it was actually- it was zoned residential. Wow. So it was not under the protection of the mobile home park zoning. Interesting. So comparison, though, eight, uh, Nick's and the Blue Bonnet actually make a very interesting comparison in what happened. Uh, Nick's apartments, uh, Nick's mobile home park was bought up by a developer, uh, St. Anton, uh, closed down, uh, residents evicted, same story. Um, the residents were paid compensation. But what St. Anton's put up there or is currently building there is a 120-unit apartment complex, of which 22 of those units are reserved for very low income, which means 40 to 60 percent median, 40 to 60, yeah, 40 to 60 percent median area income, which it, means that the market rate units in that complex at the time when they were talking about it, the market rate would have gone for 3,900, hmm. and the reserved units would go for 13. Hmm. Nix was a 40-unit. Uh, mobile home park. So you certainly got a lot more added there yes. compared to the Blue Bonnet. And Atria, in particular, backs up to a single-family neighborhood, and they faced intense neighborhood opposition. However, uh, and they had to go through several rounds with planning commission to come up with a design that was acceptable to the city to do to deal with things like, for instance, the apartment's uh, line of sight into people's backyards, et cetera, et cetera. So, planting trees, having a step back on the uh, rear of the building, and things like that. But the point is, they made a serious effort. They got it done. uh, And council backed them up on it. Council approved it. uh, Hmm. 6-1 vote. So it's not like council is unwilling to ever ruffle feathers in residential neighborhoods. But it has to be a pretty compelling sell. Right. And what's frustrating to me, yes, you can point to Nix and say, well, it's still very upsetting that the park was closed down. Those people were evicted. But at least what was built there after was probably a net positive for the city. You cannot say that for the Blue Bonnet. Yeah, it's a basically the same number of units, but now they're getting a lot more. And I mean, I guess the question is, is this because the townhomes were the most feasible because you don't need an upzoning to allow it, whereas the Nick's place had a better designation? Or did they actually have to upzone Nick's to make that happen? I am not absolute, actually sure what the process was there. Nick's was along El Camino Real, so it may have been mm. zoned high enough already. Sure. Um, with the Blue Bonnet, I mean... Blue Blue Bonnet is not actually near any single-family neighborhoods. It's kind of uh, tucked away, fairly isolated. So, like, if you wanted to build up there, there would be no neighbors to really oppose it. You could. Where Mm. in town is that? Where in town is Uh, Blue Bonnet? It's Evelyn and, like, Fair Oaks a little bit. Okay. I know that area. Um, Okay. That around there. Sure. Um, Kind of near the train tracks. Yeah. There's like a a small bar around that. Yes, (laughs) actually. The bar, Burt's, it's it's like Burt's Stadium now, but that bar used to be called the Blue Bonnet. Whoa. Uh Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, So, anyway, like they could put more housing there. Uh, It's also about a mile from the Caltrain. Yeah. Less than a... So, Livable Sunnyvale, which is our local pro-housing organization... uh, of which I'm on the steering committee. Um, we the first motion that we passed under the bylaw, our formal bylaws, was to oppose the redevelopment of the Blue Bonnet Mobile Home Park 
unless any unless it included much greater density and affordability. Yeah. Um, because again, this comes down to using our land responsibly. It is this. It is a responsibility of the City of Planning Commission of Council to make sure that land in Sunnyvale is developed in a responsible fashion. And at this point, I do not believe it is responsible to be building more single-family homes. I mean, it sounds insane, and I be- I really believe it is insane. I mean, it reminds me of something I was just reading: uh, the history of, of Singapore, which is oh, a, wow. a crazier example because it is a big city, which is also a country. And when you are, people don't have the same ability to just head out. You know, yeah. you, no. water on two sides or whatever, and mountains, and literally <laughs> another state on the rest. So, so what? Like they have over the years been doing like you know redevelopments and we're talking like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of evictions but the city the city state would say okay and we will guarantee you the right to remain as we develop we will move you keep you around and you'll have a certain right to remain mm-hmm. but i mean we don't have the necessity to keep that here i think with these guys they got compensation they're like okay hit the road and they're probably not going to be staying anywhere near where they are right now. My understanding is some may have been moved into other affordable housing options within the city of Sunnyvale. So they got first dibs. I'm I'm not sure. But, I'm not I mean, sure on but that. But that's already a very scarce pool. Right. Of- and it wasn't mandated by any law that they had to. Right. And they may have just gotten lucky there. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what... Um, and that's part of what's so disturbing about this is no one can really say, you know, how many residents were actually displaced from Sunnyvale as a result of this. I mean, I'd say right to remain. That was part of the thing that was thrown in the 827, the thing that mm-hmm. was proposed earlier this year. And it was a way of saying if you if you're redeveloping a place, the uh, basically a developer would have to pay to keep people in the area and they would have to basically be guaranteed to stay in town. And a new unit after at their old rent. Exactly. For X years, right? Yeah. And and if that's on the table, boy, a lot more stuff is possible without anyone really losing. But, I mean, this we don't need to have that. We don't have that. And, I mean, I would frame a lot of it housing security. Like, a lot Mm -hmm. of people are very, very housing secure. If you live in a single-family house, most of the time, if you paid off your mortgage especially, you have extremely dependable property tax and you're not going anywhere and usually you can control how your neighbors are going to treat their place too right you have you have housing security plus and your investment is secure (laughs) and you also get extra equity whereas other people if you're a renter if you're a mobile home owner you don't have housing security at all we have a great inequity in housing security it's a huge problem and speaking you know i talked about the mobile home park protections Um, it's not as if the other mobile home parks are entirely safe either. Uh, what has happened in the past few years is that the Carlisle Group, which is a... That sounds like some movie villain. Uh, yes. (laughs) They're essentially, they're a private equity firm. Yeah. Um, I believe associated with the defense industry, actually. Charming. uh, Bought up the... Plaza del Rey mobile home park and immediately started in driving up the rents on the land, mm. uh, driving up the uh, land lot use fees, fees yeah. the, the lot fees. Um, now, many, many people who live in mobile homes, they were originally billed a lot of the time as uh, senior friendly housing. Many of those people, yeah, people bought it as fixed for their retirement. They're on fixed income. When Carlisle Group is raising rent six to eight percent a year. That's a huge hardship on people. 
Uh, and so there is a movement underway in Sunnyvale now to get rent control for our mobile home parks. Many, many other cities in the state have this already. And the rent control would be basically what the landlord would be able to charge for land rents? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and Carlisle, being very, very clever, uh, what they did was they actually convinced a number of their residents in Plaza del Rey to sign a five-year lease. And it turns out that if you're on a five-year lease, rent stabilization would not apply to you. Oh, because you're because you've because already of the length of time. Yeah, it would not apply until the lease came up. So they're willing to say we're willing to rent the clock for five years. Then afterwards, you know, we can get these these plots right. back. Jack up the rent by twenty so percent like, with no protections. And like Carlisle, to to do that, I mean, this is this is movie villain stuff. I mean, like Lynn, this is this is like Leona Helms this, stuff. I, like, does, I mean, is their boss stroking a white Persian cat? Like, I mean, I'll say this, like, landlords, I mean, sometimes you say, oh, they do good stuff. Like, they maintain your sinks and they do all sorts uh, of stuff. Uh, when you yeah. only own a plot and someone else owns the house, you're just doing the evil part. Yes. <laughs> like, nothing good. Only the rent, literally just rent-seeking behavior, nothing yes. bad. Yes. And now, I will say that... Uh, the name escapes me at the moment, but one of the local owners of a number of our mobile home parks has essentially entered a voluntary rent control agreement mm. with their residents. Um, and that's, you know, that's because they see themselves as a responsible member of the community and they're making, you know, they're, they're, it's more or less free money already, <laughs> right? They don't what... need to be fleecing their residents to make a reasonable profit. That's uh, that's the thing about like rent control and ever like in the Bay Area rent control it's like oh we need to keep up with costs I mean with Prop 13 costs don't increase you don't actually need to jack up rents unless you just want more money right yeah and I I have mixed feelings about rent control generally right there's it's been pretty well demonstrated there are serious negative economic consequences in the general case of rent control mostly with discouraging supply I mean but here's the thing about mobile home parks. No one's building new mobile home parks. There is no additional supply to discourage. Yes. Uh, and part of the concern is the mobile home park ordinance zoning in Sunnyvale, there is some vacancy rate. I don't remember it off the top of my head where essentially if the vacancy rate in the park hits this level, yeah, then it loses its mobile home zoning protection. And so the fear uh-huh. is you do the five-year trick and then you have a bunch of vacancies afterwards? The fear is that Carlisle essentially pri- – jacks up the rent so much that its residents get forced out and then it puts up offices or condos and even or if there's a few holdouts it just has to drop below the threshold right exactly that's like a, that's i mean since you can just write the script for that that's that's mm-hmm. like a real ticking ticking clock you got this this number but wow. it's also so elaborate and so long like if land wasn't so scarce people wouldn't be looking for it's the most fringe plots of land that they could be looking to grab zero sum thinking when we yeah. when we're unwilling to basically Treat this finite quantity and use it efficiently. You start having winners and losers. And well, it's people it's- with money will start using it to wrench these valuable scraps from the people that have the least and the least protections. So let's yeah. let's talk about uh, the just tenant protections in general. And you know, uh, we're talking about the protections of rent control for for mobile home, but for just renters throughout Sunnyvale. Sunnyvale compared to Mountain View, it has a lot less than than they have as far as. Right. Could, could you talk more about how that works? Well, Mountain View is an interesting case because they passed rent control by a ballot initiative. Sure. Uh, and rent control. This is two years ago. Two years ago. 
Uh, rent control is essentially the gold-plated, copper-bottomed, that is the maximum form of tenant protection, essentially. Built into rent control is just cause eviction, is uh, obviously controlling the amount of rents that the amount your rent can go up. There are loopholes because of Costa Hawkins, because of the Ellis Act. Yeah. But rent, uh, Mountain, Mountain View's uh, rent stabilization ordinance is about as tough a protection as you can get. And people are watching it very closely because, again, people are wondering – does this uh, start to weaken the supply of housing in Mountain View? Do landlords start doing condo conversions? Right, It's already happening. And to how much does it happen? So that's one of the things people are thinking, are watching very carefully before they consider pushing for general rent control elsewhere. But within the city of Sunnyvale, we're almost the polar opposite. We have very few tenant protections beyond what is mandated by the state. They don't have just cause? We do not have just cause eviction. You don't have a a right to lease is the name? We do not have a right to lease ordinance. And this is something that I've been trying to get – that I'm currently trying to push and that we initially started trying to do around December of this past year. Uh, And the idea of a right to lease ordinance is this. Your landlord is required to offer you a 12-month lease. It's that simple. Actually, it's a little more complicated. But your landlord's required to offer you a 12-month lease. I have heard from so many people in the city of Sunnyvale, gosh, my landlord has raised – he's been raising rent on me multiple times in the past year. Yeah. Especially from our Latino-Latina community. Yeah. Um. And I look at this and I say, wait, they don't offer you a 12-month lease as a matter of course? And evidently not. And My, my person, this wasn't in Sunnyvale, but I had a 12-month lease, renewed for another 12-month lease, and then I tried to do it again. And my landlord says, no, nah, I don't think I'll do that. I'll do month to month. And then partway through, I got evicted. He says, oh, we're gonna, I'm getting geez. out of this. I'm selling it off. And I need to get out. Uh, but like, it's a, it's a good – just being able to plan – a year in the future. And I think mm-hmm. you're talking about like homeowners, like they know they have their place. Renters, yeah. boy, your life is could change in a in if you don't or, have this kind of thing. Yeah, like if you have kids, imagine that. How can you imagine raising a family without being able how can you how can you plan a life without yeah. being able to know that look, I can at least stay in the same place for a year. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's uh, the that seems like a very low bar to say just year by year it doesn't change, but I mean people don't even of that it's the bare minimum and so i've been personally pushing a 12-month lease ordinance we went to uh, livable sunnyvale and the saint cyprian uh, catholic parish faith and justice committee we went to council this past december to try to get it added to the omnibus housing study issue uh the city is doing a single giant study issue on housing in the city of Sunnyvale. It's been this is a case where the process has been ridiculously onerous. Well, uh, you say been, Sunnyvale does things the right way. They do it the way most of the time. They, I mean, they cross their they cross their T's, dot their I's, but it means that they don't vote on anything until they've done a study issue. Right, <laughs> and it takes time. And so this housing study issue has taken so long to get off the ground. And it's still just in the – I think they've hired the consultant and are starting to plan the community meetings. And like this was proposed two years ago. But we tried to get it added on to the housing study issue, the t- idea of a 12-month lease added on to the housing study issue. And when we went up there to present on the idea and we saw uh, staff was there, oh, God, it was like I kicked a puppy. You could see the light dying in their eyes at the prospect of having yet one more thing in this gigantic study issue. 
They, they had such sad little faces, and they basically begged <laughs> Council not to do this to them. And Council w- refused to put it on the study issue. So, so even like a change that sh- really in most cases should be considered fairly uncontroversial just because there's a lot that has to happen, it, it, it's, it takes a lot of work to push this through the process. Right. And we came in at – we started at the wrong time. Sure. Right. We came in after – like at the end of the study issue prioritization process. This year we want to – we're aiming to get it prioritized as a study issue for uh, the coming year as its own independent study issue. Um, Livable Sunnyvale, we're going to be voting on whether to support this uh, next week. Hmm. Um, I'm personally pushing it and the idea – we're hoping that by having it be its own study issue, that it can move fairly quickly. That's that's the hope. And what this comes down to, it comes down to being able to plan a life. It comes down to having some measure of security. Now, the exact parameters that we're looking at, Mountain View actually had a right to lease ordinance before it implemented rent control. Sure. Uh, and Mountain View's ordinance was landlords had to offer a six and 12 month lease to tenants. And this is the key part, at terms equal or better than any month-to-month lease that they offer. Mm. Because if you just say they have to offer it, they can say, yeah, we're offering you the 12-month lease at $10,000 a month, and here's the month-to-month at 3000 a month. What are you going to take? Yeah. Right. That's that's a loophole you can drive a truck through. So you do have to have that component. It is in one month – Sure, two months. Yeah, you just, like it's 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 pretty funny. I mean, funny. Yeah, it's just funny that you can just. It really is just just a complete oversight like that. Well, it's in there to fight bad actors, right? Like Pete, there would be landlords that would do that mm-hmm. to get around the rules and to make the most money. And this is what the laws are supposed to be for: is protecting people that need to be protected yep. from those that would look to make money at their expense. Yep, and. The other thing is that, like, this is this really would be an ordinance targeted at bad actors. Like, it's – most landlords offer a 12-month lease as – especially the larger landlords offer it as a matter of course because it means stable revenue for them. Every, every minute an apartment is left vacant is lost money. Well, less hassle. If they're moving in three tenants a year into the same unit, it's got to be a, mm-hmm. it's a big drag for them too. A lot of them have, like, even around here you'll see – this is kind of a thing. If supply goes up, you start to see places first month rent free, and, mm-hmm. and you can. It's it's a lot easier to offer that if you lock yeah. people in. Places that don't right. have housing crises, you'll see things like that offers as, offers perks. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it seems like the best uh, tenant control would be proactive building, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> we need to work on that. Unfortunately, the Sunnyvale City Council can't control Cupertino or yeah. our other neighbors, but. There's all there is more that we can be doing ourselves. So, so the process you have to introduce a study issue, have mm-hmm. it accepted, mm-hmm. uh, and then they have to study it for a while. And I, this is one thing I, I was hearing uh, you or someone else say that there is basically the planning department to study it is understaffed now because yes. <laughs> because <laughs> just like it happened in Palo Alto, people can't afford to stay in their own city. They're planning stuff for correct and. Uh, we just we actually just lost our head of housing uh, planning the or the sorry the part the 
member of staff who was responsible for planning and zoning and housing. We just lost her, unfortunately. To what? Santa Cruz. She was commuting here from Santa Cruz every day over the mountains, and it finally just got to be untenable for her. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) That's too much. It is too much. And it's... Uh, it's symptomatic of the bigger problems we're facing where the people who make our cities work can't afford to live here anymore. The yeah. firefighters, the teachers, the planning, you know, st- city staff. Yeah. Right? I mean, like what what do people say? Like, yeah, like firefighters, teachers, first responders, but then way down the list of like, of like attractive and wholesome professions that a city needs to run are all these people, sewage workers, clerks. Every 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 administrative assistant, every every yep. part time worker, every food service worker is needed to make these towns run. It's almost as though you need a lot of affordable housing. Yeah, mm-hmm. for people of all incomes, affordable with an uppercase A or a lowercase A, it needs to happen. Yeah, but I mean, it it, it makes me think like there's a certain amount you could say like housing insecurity. Mm-hmm. You know, you're always you can just spread it around, and we you know. There is just chaos being put in so many people's lives, and when you start to bunch it up, yeah, you can't run the department of, of planning. I mean, it starts to multiply itself. And, right. And, I mean, I guess big picture, I feel that we need to kind of look for solutions that really help spread it evener and say, you know— we have to look at not just you can look at city to city. You know, Cupertino needs to, needs to face its share and its homeowners mm-hmm. and the homeowners in, in Sunnyvale. I think everybody needs to do their share. And we're yep. in a way that, you know, some people make millions and other people just it's lose everything, <laughs> lose, lose absolutely everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I guess in, in, in closing, I feel like this thing we talk about a lot more. Uh, you actually make like a lot of moralistic pleas based upon like you know from a, a basically distributivist uh, you know outlook. Uh, essentially, Catholic social teaching. Sure. Um, it's and I mean Pope Francis has played a remarkable role in revi- reviving the the salience of the church's social teaching, but really he's not saying anything new. Everything he's saying is one hundred percent in line with what Benedict was saying. Hell, with what Benedict fifteenth and fourteenth were saying 115 years ago, with Rerum Novarum and uh, Pope Leo, right? This is not. This is this has been the Church's social teaching for a very long time, and part of that is the belief that yes, we have a market, but that people are entitled to the basic necessities of life: food, water, clothing. Housing, I mean, right? And we shouldn't tolerate their exploitation or denial of mm-hmm. those things. And this is, you know, this is straight out of uh, Matthew twenty-five. You know, the sheep and the goats. Um, Lord, when did I find you hungry and give you food? When when did I find you thirsty and give you drink? When did I find you a stranger and welcome you in? Uh, that's the key one and the answer is always whenever you did this for the least of these my brothers you did this for me whenever you did not do this for the least of these my brothers you did not do this for me i mean it's 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 a very hard sell to tell to people it's like it's not just about the money you're making it's not just about your personal benefit be nice to others (laughs) try to make room for the people who are less well off than you and I mean, it's if you're not selling it, it's basically a moral message. Are you really going to get through to people? 
Right. And that is my key point. Uh, This is a criticism I have of the YIMBY movement a little bit. And it is – and this is, I'd say, rather liberal politics in general. Um, And that's an aggressively lowercase l there. Sure. Um, all, we, we, all we need is deregulating, mar, you know, just freedom <laughs> to do things. It's, it's you know, libertarianism with, with a soft edge. Not even libertarianism or technocracy. Sure. Right? That we're just trying to find the optimal outcomes and we just need to fiddle with the knobs and the dials and get something that gets the most utils for the most people. And the, No, there's a real... I mean, fine. Like, sure. We don't if that's act. why you do it, I'm not going to complain. The but goal isn't efficiency. The goal is creating a fair and just world. The goal is justice. Yeah. And when you look at the Bay Area right now, it is unjust. It is fundamentally deeply unjust what the housing prices here are doing to people. People, something like I read uh, recently that 58% of the students in Ravenswood School District, which is East Palo Alto, are homeless. That is about six miles north of this studio right now. Yeah. Okay. This is when I get off the Caltrain at 4th and King, and I work in San Francisco, every single day it is stepping into a, an ocean of human misery. The number of homeless people on the streets, mentally ill, uh, desperate, it's horrifying. And this in one of the wealthiest cities in the wealthiest country in the world. Some of the wealthiest people, too, shoving past these people and trying not to look at them. Including me. Yeah. Right? I'm I'm that well-paid software engineer. Well, everybody who is around to try to (laughs) reform things, make things better— it's they almost by definition have to have privilege mm-hmm. not to be just to have any time and ability to be around here and do it or mm-hmm. to sit around and talk about how an app could possibly help solve the housing crisis that's a very that's a very detached place you have to be in where you can yes. talk about how lofty the technology things can help people out on the street but I mean, I, I think, and there's so many people say oh, we need to clean. There's too much, you know, homelessness. We need to clean up these encampments. But it's not just about we need to have a cleaner city. It's it is our fault. It is a moral charge. And, and everybody. those are people. Yes, yes, those are human beings who deserve dignity. And part of dignity is having a roof over their head. I'm gonna. This may sound alarming. Do you know why? If you look at Uh, most of the Talmudic and even the Old Testament references, do you know why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed? I actually, I, we had this discussion before, but uh, the the story as I remember it is an angel went to town and the angel basically uh, stayed with the, with the dude there. Mm -hmm. And then the people in town said, Hey, Let's let's take the angel out because we want to have sex with the angel. Yes. (laughs) So that's the, that's the initial story. And, uh, as a result of this, God smites both cities and destroys them with fire from the sky. But you look at what even the, the Old Testament says later on. It is not – so every – so the evangelical right always says Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of the gays. And mm. the gays are going to do the same thing to America. They'll uh, – They'll bring disaster on our country, right? That's why sodomy is sodomy. Right, because, yeah, you know, exactly. And deviancy will bring right. God's wrath. What actually, But Ezekiel straight up says that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because they were unjust to the poor. 
because mm-hmm. they abused the poor and the widow because they abused foreigners. Yeah. What does that sound like? I mean, it just, we are all, we are all implicit. Mm-hmm. We're all culpable. And yeah. our, and you get to somewhere like Berkeley with its social, with Jesse Aragin and his social justice platform. But what, what's the first thing he does? He kicks the homeless people farther and farther away from the tourists and from the uh, Berkeley families and kicks them out under the highways and under the bridges. This is our social justice mayor yeah. who is this is the platform he's running on and being a sanctuary city and being welcoming to any and all but you better you know send the police to kick those encampments out and fence them in fence them out it's what is all this rhetoric worth if oh about be about sanctuary cities and putting a sign in your front yard saying how welcoming you are if you won't welcome actual human beings when they knock on your door yes but you, could, I mean, a person can say like, you know, well, I'm not complicit. I go around when I see a person, I give them a quarter. I'm nice to people. I donate to the ACLU. You I, know, I don't, I don't kick cats. You know, don't kick dogs. But I mean, the fact is, you are living in a place that is allowing, you know, these these Carlisle Group and other landlords to say, okay, let's make a ton of money by just giving people a bad shake. Mm-hmm. And we are living in a system in which people are systematically taken advantage of. And I, it's, it's very easy, especially if you're a person who is having a good quality of life, and maybe even you have a couple million in equity because of the systems working for you. But, I mean, it's, it's very hard to say, look how, yeah, look how the sausage is made. Yeah. And, I mean, like... Uh- you, all these people, so many, you know, everyone in the Bay Area almost bills themselves as some brand of progressive, some brand of liberal. All these people, like you said, yeah. having immigrants welcome here, uh, no sanctuary wall, city. sanctuary city. What the hell is the good of a sanctuary city if no one can afford to live there? Yeah, by design. By design. There is a very famous speech that Harvey Milk gave in uh, when he was first running for supervisor. And he talks about the boy from Altoona, the boy from Altoona, Pennsylvania, this gay kid who calls him up and tells him, my gosh, you know, what am I going to do? I'm growing, I'm growing up gay. I don't have, I don't, what can I do? Where can I go? And Milk says, as a result, that because of my run, that boy has two more choices. He can move to San Francisco and be accepted and be welcome for who he is, or he can stay and fight. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, now one of those choices is off the table because of our housing crisis. Yeah. And you look at the homelessness, pop, the homeless population in SF, a large fraction of that, a huge fraction of that is queer youth. Yeah. Homeless queer yeah. youth. And Well, and if you look at the, the vocal composition of the, the young queer movement in the Bay Area, it's almost it's almost all people who are new to the area and techies and have the luxury of being able to participate in this movement or people who were who are natives to the bay area and have family support there's it's it's we, very difficult for we someone only allow to, a few kind of migrants to, yeah, to thrive here and, or a few a, a, a certain kind of diversity and people can be very nostalgic for the 70s and when a guy like mel could come in i mean he actually you know he, he had a pretty good job at different points but in general yeah it's like we are nostalgic for a time when it was inclusive and that we aren't building a society where well and what did milk do for a living here in a camera store like mm-hmm. yeah. who can who can move to the castro and open a camera store where you mostly sit around and chat all day <laughs> yeah like, right that seemed that's unfathomable fathomably quaint now because the economics haven't worked out for 30 years. 
of doing something like that. So we're we're running out of time. Uh, I guess in final, any any if people are curious about you know more resources they can look out, check out any groups uh, and any information about uh, Livable Sunnyvale or any of the other things we mentioned here. Yes, uh, look up Livable Sunnyvale online. We meet once a month. Our next meeting is next Wednesday, the eighteenth, I believe that is, uh, at the Toyota Sunnyvale at six thirty. Um, also, if you're interested in the Blue Bonnet case, the city council is hearing an appeal of planning commission's decision to allow the development to go forward. That will be Tuesday night in council chambers at seven o'clock. Yeah, so that is going to be uh, just be clear that is uh, July 2018. Uh, yes, that's Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, pretty much immediately after this episode's drop. So, so plan your plan your schedule around that if you're if you're curious. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much, uh, Richard and uh, and Max for being here on the show today to talk about this. Lock on in Sunnyvale, and it, because of my home turf, I feel like I'll I'm very willing to to to, to talk more about it in the future. Absolutely, it was a pleasure being here, Mark. Absolutely, thank you very much. You can find previous episodes of this show online at seethecat.org. This is a presentation of KZSU Stanford. 